0: We are in uh, Romans chapter 12 today. We're going to dive right in. So if you want to go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word, it'll be on the uh, uh, screen behind me. Uh, Let's go ahead and do that, shall we? Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, wherever you see the word therefore, I didn't get very far, did I? Wherever you see the word therefore... You know what question you're supposed to ask yourself? Every Yeah, you've heard it before, right? What is the therefore? Therefore. Sometimes it's obvious and it's easy. Other times it's not so obvious and easy. That's why we need to be connecting to God's people as we enter and as we dig into his word because it's not always super obvious. We need Sunday schools and life groups and worship services like this, prayer groups, right? We have to be families reading the word together. This therefore Paul's made a very obvious transition in the book of Romans, and he's talking about everything he's said up to this point. It's almost like uh, there's a Francis uh, Schaeffer book, uh, How shall, how Should We Then Live? How Should We Then Live? Don't you like that title? Think about that. If he would have left the, word, the little word then, I won't keep you standing for very long. Don't worry. Oh, the text is short. Uh, if he would have kept the word then out, how should we live? That's not an interesting book, is it? What? But by putting that little word, how should we then live? Huh? Paul's saying, therefore, given everything I've said to this point, the fact that you slash we are so flawed that Jesus had to die for us, but we're so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us. Given that, Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, please add your blessing to the reading of your word and the hearing of your word. And speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. That text that I just read, it sounds right, it sounds correct, I mean, if God exists, and he does, and he's the creator of all, if we believe he's the creator of all, and he is, then it makes sense that I would offer myself. That's my duty, right? That's my, uh, my obligation. That's the, the logical thing to do is to offer myself to the one who made me and who sustains me and on and on, right? It's logical. But doesn't it sound hard? It sounds really difficult, my goodness, that sounds difficult. Ultra, offer offer, your bodies, Paul says. I've been asked, does that mean, is he talking about, um, what's he talking about here? Is he talking about our, our, our sexuality? Is that why he goes with the word body? Well, no, not really. Yes, but no. Think of the context. If, if that were the case, it would be in the context of talking about intimate relationships and such. It's really not. Remember, the therefore talks about the gospel. The therefore is about the gospel. So why, he, why does he use the word body? He says, therefore offer your body because my body contains all of me. There is nothing about me that is outside of my body. You ever think about that? All of my thoughts, all of my opinions, all of my desires... All of my being, my soul, my energy, life force, whatever you want to call it, it's all in here, isn't it? So, by saying offer your body, it's a great way for Paul to say you offer everything. And again, logically, of course, God is who God is. Logically, I should offer God. But you know what? Man, I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired, and that sounds like a lot of work. I know what it means to offer God a part of my body. I know what it means to serve him on for three hours on a foster care night. I know what it means to worship him for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. You know, I know what it means to volunteer here or volunteer there. How about my money? Is that a part of my body? I think it is, actually. Not the actual paper, but I know what it means to write him a check for a couple hundred dollars once in a while, you know? But all of me, my whole body as a living sacrifice, I'm not sure I know what that feels like. And so it just comes across as saying, saying, try harder, do more, Adam, work harder, try harder. And then I don't make it. I don't measure up. And so then what happens? Now I feel bummed. I feel like I let God down. Oh, woe is me. I didn't do it. So what do I do in response? I hear some preacher preaching Romans 12, 1 again, and I say, okay, God, I've got to buckle down now. I'm really going to do it this time. God, I'm going to give you all of me this time. This time is going to be different, but who am I kidding? It's not. I hold back from God, and now here I am again. So what am I supposed to do? Just keep trying harder and harder and harder? And just keep, woe is me when I fail. Keep going back. That doesn't sound like a way of living that will cause me to want to love God more and more and more. It doesn't. Some of you, I have a great dad, and from as early as I can remember, he told me, he's been telling me that he's proud of me. He's proud of me for what I would consider bigger accomplishments. And he'd say he's proud of me for little accomplishments too. So I I never really had issues in that department. But some of you know what it's like to have a dad who you can never make happy. You can't ever please him. You're never good enough. You never measure up. And you try, and you try, and you try, and you try. And everybody in the house is walking around on eggshells because you never know what you're going to do that's going to make him blow up next. And you're, so you're always just trying, and you're trying not to make him blow up, and then you're trying to please him. and So whatever you're doing, whether it be grades or maybe you're, you're working really hard to make the team so you can make him proud, but you never get the satisfaction of hearing him say, I'm proud of you, I love you, you're good enough. Right? God's not like that kind of dad. God's not like that. And pleasing God isn't like trying to please that kind of dad. God's like the kind of dad who, think about those of you who have kids. When your kid takes out the coloring book before... Before he can color within the lines, he's just starting, right? And he colors it, whatever. You know, you can imagine what it looks like. He tears it out, and then he brings it to you, and he gives it to you with a big smile on his face, right? Is that pleasing to you? It is, isn't it? It's pleasing to you. Why? Why? Because he's your kid, and he did it for you. He's your child, and he did it for you. That's a picture of what it's like to please God. He's not up there with his arms folded like this, just waiting to say, okay, show me the best that you got. I know it isn't going to be good enough, but show me the best that you got. No, he's up there saying, Let's see what you're bringing to me next. What'd you make for me? What'd you do for me? Let me see it. And then the miracle of it all is that God allows himself to be pleased with us. That's a miracle. I don't even understand that. But the God who spoke the heavens into existence. Is pleased with the little pictures that we color for him. Paul uh, is—he's, of course, he's a genius, but he's also—he's writing under the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and. There's a very good reason why he uses the language of sacrifice. When I first read this, most of my life I've probably read this and thought, what do I think of a sacrifice? Oh, a a single mom who works two or three jobs, the people who go into the military, the guys at D-Day, that kind of stuff. I mean, they're sacrificing, right? That's not what Paul's talking about, or that's not what his audience is thinking when they read the word sacrifice. You know what they're thinking, they know what a sacrifice is. What are they thinking of? Animal sacrifice. Completely different thing. That's what they're thinking of. Does that change the way you understand this verse? Think of yourselves now as a living sacrifice. Not a sacrifice like community service hours, right? Right? A sacrifice, like, kind of sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. As soon as Paul would have put those two words together, that would have been like, these guys, we got to think about that. What did he just say? A living sacrifice. He uses three adjectives, actually, in this verse. And let's look at what those three adjectives. Adjectives, the first one I already told you, it's living. And that would have been really strange. Living sacrifice, because sacrifices are supposed to die. That's what they do. They die, and they get burned up. That's what a sacrifice is. Holy. Holy. Well, did you read Romans 1 through 3? How are we supposed to be holy Paul when he's just told us how wicked we all are, holy, that's not me. Holy means good, right, true, and pure. I'm none of those things. And then the third is pleasing. Pleasing to God. How does this all work together? And how am I supposed to please God? I'm glad you asked. Wouldn't it be nice if you knew that you were pleasing to God? I mean, my little introduction about kids and coloring books aside, don't you wonder, am I pleasing to God? Am I pleasing enough to him? Don't you wonder? Wouldn't it be nice if you knew, not wondered, but knew that you were pleasing to God? We all live to please. Face that. Face it. All of us live our lives to please someone. You're living to please other people? Some people do that. You're living to please yourself. Most of us do that. Or you're living to please God. Wouldn't you like to please God? Wouldn't you like for that to be the most important to you? Well, again... Go back to that word sacrifice, and now imagine that you're one of these first people in Rome who's reading this letter, and you're, you're, you're thinking about the sacrifice. You've seen sacrifices happen a hundred times. How does it happen? Here, here, here you are. There's, there's four players in a sacrifice, four, four, four figures, four characters in this drama, if we're writing a script, right? You got... Uh, the first one is the person who 's offering the sacrifice call that call that guy what the penitent person call him the supplicant How that for a fancy word for it we 'll call him the supplicant and he 's the person offering the sacrifice. Then you have the victim. You have the victim, the lamb, the goats, the pigeons, the turtle doves, the bull, whatever it is going to fill this role, it's the victim, and the victim's job is to die. That's what the victim is going to do. Thirdly, you have a priest. He's the one waiting at the top of the steps at the altar to take the victim and to, you know, kill it. And then, of course, you have your fourth person is God, the God that you are hoping to please or to give thanks to or to seek uh, forgiveness from. There's the God. Well, in Paul's picture, there aren't four actors. There's only three, maybe even only two. Stick with me. You'll see what, what I mean by that. You have the supplicant. But, of course, the supplicant and the victim, they're the same person. What does he say? Offer yourself. Offer yourself as the sacrifice. They're the same person. You are the one sacrificing, and you are the one to be sacrificed. So off you go. You climb the steps of the temple. Your hands are empty, of course, because you are the sacrifice. And you go uh, up the steps. You go. uh, You are the one. You've been taught. You've been told. You believed. You are the one with evil in your heart. You've rebelled against God. You're sinful. You are the one who uh, more often than not cared about pleasing others or care about pleasing yourself more than you care about pleasing God. You are the one, therefore, whose blood must be shed everything looks so familiar like I said you've seen this a hundred times the sights and the smells they're all there but when you reach the top of the staircase now something strange happens the priest is standing there but the priest stops you and prevents you from coming any farther and then it gets really weird it gets really weird the priest lays down on the altar and then you think you're dreaming because this kind of sounds like a dream what i'm about to describe but the blood begins to flow from the priest and you're standing there go with me now okay just work with me here you're standing there and the blood is flowing from the priest and it's hitting the ground and it's splattering on your shoes and on your Pants, And you're just kind of dumbfounded. You're thinking, what is happening? And so you look down and you stare at what this mess that's being made. And you're just so confused. You've never seen anything like this in all of your life. And you've seen a lot of sacrificing. And then you look up, expecting to see the dead body of the priest laying there. Instead, what? He's standing next to you. He's standing next to you and he places his hand on your shoulder. A voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the priest says to you, your sacrifice has been accepted. Your debt is paid in full. It is finished. And then the priest has hands on both your shoulders, and he gently turns you around to face down the steps that you've just climbed up. There's the world out there. And he says, now go. Go out there. You are a living sacrifice. You are living Living sacrifice. And we come back to the question, how should we then live? Go and live as if you are a living sacrifice. Go and live in light of of what just happened here today, of what you just witnessed, of who you have been made to be. It's so much easier to love a dad who you just know is pleased with you, who you know loves you, if you've come to God's son, Jesus, you know it's because you are his son. You are his daughter. And he is pleased with you. And so whether you serve six times a week, whether you pray for an hour or 45 minutes or 15 minutes or none tomorrow, whether you give or $200 or $20 or none today, God is still pleased with you. God is still pleased with you. That's really hard for us to understand, isn't it? It's really, really important. It's really, really important. Because if we don't understand that, all of our efforts, all the things that we do, we think, we start to believe we're doing them to please God. And then we're like the older brother in that story of the prodigal where we start to believe that God owes us something. But we don't. We don't give. We don't obey We don't follow him. We don't pray. We don't serve. We don't sing. We don't worship in order to please him. But because we already please him. Does that make sense? I can't tell if i got you or not. Does that make sense? Pastor Steve Brown and his ministry, Key Life, they have a a slogan, a saying, a mission statement. It goes like this. He says, the only people who get any better are those who know that if they don't get any better, God will still love them anyways. There's a lot of truth to that. All of my attempts to make me better, they don't work. They don't make me better. They don't. It doesn't work. Unless I'm doing them for a the right reason. Because I love my dad. My heavenly dad. and Because I want to be like him. I'll close by having you think about that image again of the priest on the altar bleeding for you. It's not an image we're accustomed to in this culture because we don't have, you know, we don't do animal sacrifices. But nevertheless, that's the image that God's given us to think about when he talks about what he's done for us. I want you to think about that image because Jesus actually did that. It's not a strange dream. It's not some picture, word picture that the pastor paints to fill time on a Sunday morning. Jesus actually did that. He died on a cross. And, and, and the Bible says that it wasn't really the Roman soldiers or the Jewish accusers killing him. It was God doing the dirty work. God... See, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they got together before the beginning of time and they had this plan in place. They had a plan to create a people who are free to love them and who they can then love in return. They knew that this people would reject them, but here's how they knew they would atone for that rejection, how they would make that people pure again. It involved the cross, the grave, the pit, hell, resurrection, new life, and the church. It's all been part of the plan from the beginning. Because God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit knew that they'll come back to us and we'll live together with them forever. Knowing that there's a God out there who would do that for me, who decided that he was going to do that for me before I was ever born, it's almost too good to be true. Maybe you can't believe it this morning. Maybe you don't know if you believe what I'm telling you. Okay. I can't really help you there. I can only tell you what I know, which is what I've done. But it is such great news that Even if you aren't sure, you should hope. You should hope that it's true. It's such a wonderful, powerful story. But it is true. That's the best part. And you know that if you believe what I'm saying, and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, there are now a number of ways that you can live. Some of those ways please him. Other ways to live are maybe pleasing to other people. They might be pleasing to you, but they're not pleasing to him for various reasons. We won't get into specifics. But the question is, who do you really want to please the most? Who do you want to please the most? Keep that picture in mind and see then going from this place, if it isn't easier. Just see if it isn't easier, with that picture in mind, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to Him. Let's pray. God, the battle that we find ourselves in, it's not a battle over behaviors, so much as it's a battle over our hearts. It's a battle for our desires. Who do we want to please? Lord, we need you to do a work in us because we want to please you, but then we don't. I believe with all my heart that I want to give you everything. And then later today, I find that I'm not giving you everything. So maybe I don't want that with all my heart. I need you. We need you, Lord. Just continue to do a work in our lives to change our desires, to give us a burning desire to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.